Uh, do me a favor, if you have your Bible, we're going to continue in a series that we're probably going to be parked in for uh, probably through most of the summer through the book of, the book of Romans or the letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Rome. While you're kind of getting there and getting your notes out, I want to uh, just celebrate for one moment. Um, Pastor Joey is walking out, and you know, we've been celebrating a lot of our graduates, and a lot of you guys don't know this, behind the scenes, uh, Pastor Joey's been working on his Master's of Divinity, which I always say is an oxymoron. I don't know how you master divinity, but anyway... Um, I've got one of those, and uh, but it's it's a it's a tremendous uh, it's a tremendously difficult degree. Uh, it's over a hundred credits uh, to get that master's degree, and on top of doing a full time ministry here, uh, organizing between sixty and seventy volunteers under his ministry, and providing you know great worship music for us week in and week out, uh, he's been carrying full loads behind the scenes, and so he graduated. Uh, what was your GPA? Was it one point? It was probably pretty high. Actually, he's probably the smartest guy on staff. So uh, he's a really sharp guy, and uh, even though he doesn't know how to say kings. So do me a favor. Uh, just give him a round of applause. This is a great accomplishment. Well done. All right. And then go do whatever you do till you come back out. I don't know. So yeah, way to go, Joey. We're really proud of you. Okay. Um, yeah, Romans chapter 7, okay? We, uh, we've been doing this journey through Romans. There's a handout in your bulletin. Uh, you can follow along uh, with me there. I would encourage you to do that. We always kind of remember more of the things that we write down. Uh, we are about to delve in over the next few weeks into some passages uh, of Scripture that um, there is some debate about, okay? And, and so there's a potential, however slight, uh, that I may be wrong in some of my interpretations. Not morally wrong, I don't think. There's just differences of opinion, okay? And so as I was processing, preparing this sermon, uh, I was thinking about uh, Happy Days. I don't know how many of y'all remember Happy Days, okay? You got to be 40 and up, okay? But in the show Happy Days... Uh, there's this really cool character. His game is the Fonz, and the Fonz is cool. Everybody knows he's cool. He's, he's single. He rides a motorcycle. He's got all the girls, whatever. And the Fonz is never wrong. And there's this great scene that always comes to my mind where one of his friends, a guy by the name of Ralph Mouth, uh, is he convinces Ralph to go join the Marines. And everybody realizes Ralph is not cut out for the Marines. He can't join the Marines. And so the, all the friends kind of gather around the Fonz and say, you got to go tell Ralph Mouth not to join the Marines. And in this clip, the Fonz, for the first time in his life, has to admit that he could be wrong. I want you to see this. I love this. Don't forget that Fonz, real. I mean, it's not important. <laughs> I figured I'd hang in the barracks and cheer up the guys. Mouth, you're not going to hang these up in any barracks because you're not going to join the Marines. Just take all this stuff home, okay? But Fonzie, not join? I'm all packed. You told me it was the right thing to do. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was... <laughs> Ralph, I was... <laughs> I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Ralph. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The Fonz wrong? Mouth, look. <laughs> there is a first time for everything, huh? I don't understand, Fonz. How could you be wrong about a thing like that? Look, I don't understand it myself, Ralph. I don't understand it myself. I was under a lot of pressure. I was under a lot of cause, too. Two of them were Maybe the pressure was getting to me. I don't know. No, Fonzie. 
You might have been under a lot of cars, but you weren't wrong. You were right. Oh. Everything you said about me was true. I'm useless around here. I got a joint. Everybody hates me. I'll see you. Mouth. I didn't tell you why I was, uh... Wrong? <laughs> I didn't tell you why you shouldn't join the Marines. Why shouldn't I go, Fonz? I mean, tell me. Because if you join the Marines, I'm gonna miss you. So what I found is uh, actually in marriage, that works really well, okay? If you just walk around and say, honey, I was... All right, so, you know, over the next couple of weeks, all kidding aside, we're going to be addressing some challenging passages of Scripture, and uh, I could take the tactic that we're just going to skip over them, okay? But we're not going to do that. And in fact, today's uh, passage, Romans chapter 7, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading two of my favorite commentators, two uh, men that I usually really agree with, very sharp uh, minds, and, and they actually disagreed on this passage, especially verses 14 to 24, and, and so as I read them, I didn't know what to do since two of my favorite guys disagreed, and so I did something I try not to do too often. I thought for myself, okay, in preparing this message. And, um, you know, and so let me set this up here this morning, uh, you know, that it, uh, kind of giving us a little bit of an overview, uh, going all the way back to Romans 1, 2, and 3. Remember, we talked about the human condition, and the human condition is sin and separation from God. And because we're born into sin and we commit sin, uh, we are under the umbrella of the wrath of God. That's what every person on planet Earth earth ultimately deserves, okay? And then we talked about chapter four and into chapter five, how God has declared us righteous by grace through faith because of the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that doctrine, if you will, or that idea, now, by the way, so, you know, I, I got yelled at by our tech team this morning. I, I keep wandering off the rug. And when I wander off the rug, when people go on the internet, they can't see me, okay? So, so if you're wondering why I'm staying closed in, it's the tech team, all right? You can pick on them. So, but We've, we've been building, I've been trying to teach you some by moving back and forth, teaching some things. So declared righteousness is this, this doctrinal idea, and it's a big church word called what? What's it called? Anybody remember? Justification, right? And so in chapter 5 of Romans, Paul now transitions to really the rest of our lives once we're followers of Jesus Christ, this process where we grow more and more like Jesus Christ, and this process is called what? Anybody remember? Sanctification, good, you guys are getting it, okay? I want you to get these ideas and these words, okay? And so and then in the future when we either die and go to be with Christ or when ultimately when Christ returns and we get our glorified bodies and we spend eternity with him, that time is called what? Anybody remember? Glorification, right? And I love the song that we sang, How Deep the Father's Love, because you know he, they, uh, the, uh, the um, author of the song asked the question, why should I gain from what? His reward, right? That's glorification. When all the rewards that belong to Christ are going to be ours by grace alone through faith alone, okay? And so I believe that chapter 7 falls into this time called sanctification. And it started in chapter 6 where Paul reminded us, we, because of Christ, because of declared righteousness, we are now freed from sin. Now, are we completely free? No, okay? We still are under sin's influence, but we're no longer under sin's dominion. 
dominion as followers of Jesus Christ. Now Paul in chapter 7 kind of remind me, remember his audience. This goes back to what Pastor Joey taught us, that, that this letter was written to this church that was filled with, with Jewish believers and Gentile believers. So the Jewish believers had grown up under this thing called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And so the law of God had prominence in their thinking, okay? And are you guys kind of tracking with me? I know this is kind of heavy duty. I'm trying to, I'll try to lighten it up here in a little bit. By the way, your Bible is broken into two covenants, if you will, or, or two testaments. The old is old, what? Testament, right? And the New Testament, okay? And the word testament literally means covenant, okay? Old covenant and new covenant. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the newness of the new covenant. But the first thing I want you to see out of Romans chapter 7 is that Paul is saying that as followers of Christ, in this process of sanctification, we are now commissioned to do good works, okay? You've now been freed from the dominion of sin, and because of that, you are now in the process of growing to be like Christ. And so you can now freed up to do righteous things, holy things, honor the Lord in your everyday life. You're free, you're commissioned to do good work. He says in Romans chapter 7, he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. Now, by the way, 1, 2, and 3 is an illustration he used to say, here's the point of my illustration. He says, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Now, he's talking about the law, okay? And, and specifically, we're going to talk, we're going to kind of talk, think in lines of the Ten Commandments. Now, the law is bigger than that, but let's just think about that here this morning. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. Okay, this is the declared righteousness sanctification thing, okay? So here's the result, ready? As a result, you can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Church, there is a biblical expectation that when you become a follower of Christ, there will be life change. Did you hear that? There is a biblical expectation when you become a follower of Christ that the old life you are dying more and more to, and now you're, you're living a more righteous and a more holy life. And one of the challenges I believe that the Church of America is facing is we got a whole bunch of people running around calling themselves Christians, but there's really not a whole lot of newness to their new life. There's not a, 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 a produce of good works. It's not much life change. It's, it's kind of Jesus in our culture. I think we've run the risk of it. He's kind of fire insurance. He's, he's taking care of my glorification. And man, that's all I need. But there's no spiritual maturity going on. And Paul says, listen, you're commissioned now to do good works, a harvest of things for the Lord. James chapter 2 says it this way. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without what? Good works. There's got to be life change, church. If, they, if, if we really, truly understand how deep the Father's love is for us, the ransom that was paid for our heart and for our soul, there's a change. Jesus said in John chapter 15, says, I'm the true vine, and my Father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. If we're followers of Christ, we're producing fruit. That illustration runs all throughout Scripture. That there's, there's good works that are produced for the glory of Christ in the name of his heavenly Father. Jesus says this in, Roman, in Matthew chapter 7. He says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its what? Fruit. So, too, 
You can identify people by their what? Actions. See that? doesn't matter what you say you are if your life has not changed. doesn't matter what you claim to believe if your behavior has not changed. Now, I hope you understand me. We, we spent four or five chapters talking about declared righteousness, that our, our favor with God has really nothing to do with what we do or don't do. However, if you understand the high cost of your righteousness before God the Father, it can't help but produce a fruit and a life of changed behavior and holiness towards God. Okay? You can't hear this message. You can't believe this message. You can't have this message deep in your heart and there not be some life change. My wife and I, in our backyard, we have some raspberry bushes, man. And it's that time of year we're excited about it. You know, we're, we're guarding those raspberry bushes from the rabbits, those little rodents that eat all my raspberries. And, you know, we're excited. But you know what would happen if this year the raspberry bushes produce strawberries? You know what we would come to understand? We don't have a raspberry bush, right? We have a what? Strawberry bush. Wow, you guys are really smart. Thank you. So, right. I mean, it's just obvious, right? And I think that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter it's, uh, If someone's a follower of Jesus Christ, then guess what? The fruits of the Spirit should be an overflow of that life. The fruit of the Spirit being love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? That's the overflow. And so Paul says, you know, how, how do we produce fruit? Well, it's not just by law keeping. We can't keep the law, but it's this new life in the spirit. And, and, and by the way, that's next week. A chapter, Romans chapter 8 is, is life in the spirit. And I've been, I've been wanting to preach on Romans chapter 8 for years. So I'm so excited to really dive into to Romans 8. But Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 7 verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, <clears throat> for we died to it, and we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the what, church? In the spirit. Listen to this. When the, the, this is one of the things that I believe is really, really new about the new covenant. Okay, And there's a lot of scholarly debate about what's new about the new covenant. I think one of the keys to the new covenant is when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible's very clear. We get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity in our hearts and lives. It's supernatural. We have the work of God's Holy Spirit that goes with us all through this process of sanctification. In fact, Paul teaches on sexual purity, and one of the things he talks about in sexual purity, he says, how dare you, those of you who house the Holy Spirit in your life, take him into sin, okay? Why? Because it's the, 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 the Holy Spirit is now with us in all that we do. And you could, I could take that, what I just illustrated, through a whole bunch of them. How dare us continue to, you know, to take the Holy Spirit with us when we lose our temper and when we struggle with addictions. The Holy Spirit is now with us. It's a Spirit-led life. Now, here's where the confusion comes in, though, about the law of God. And this is something I get really, next week we're going to really delve into life in the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, okay? But... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I, I get a little spun up about when uh, people look at Romans chapter 7, verse 6 and say, well, the law of God is somehow bad. I mean, Paul just said that. We're no longer under the law. The law has really no purposes for us. Man, I would, I would really push back against that. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the purpose of God's law is to reveal our inability 
to keep the character of the law or the character. I believe that the law reflects the character of God and we have the inability to keep that because of our sin nature. We can't keep the holy and righteous demands of the law. But what the law does offer to us is an honest spiritual reflection, an honest reflection of who we are. And this is the importance of the law. In fact, you're going to see that in the rest of this chapter, in the next couple of verses of this chapter, that Paul's really clear that, the, that the, the, the law still has its purposes. It's not that the law is bad. It's that the law reveals what's really in the heart of the human race. I, uh, my wife doesn't know this yet. And I, she hasn't attended a service. She's going to attend the next service, so she, this story will be news to her. Uh, last week was Mother's Day. And uh, back in, in February, uh, for Valentine's Day, I bought my, my wife a charm bracelet. Now, um, there was, she's always been wanting a charm bracelet. I got her a nice charm bracelet, and there was, there was a method to my madness because I was like, man, getting a charm bracelet is a really great idea because I'm, I'm, very, I'm horrible at coming up with gift ideas, and now I can, for probably another couple years, I can buy charms at every gift station, right? It's really, it really made it easy on myself. And so, uh, <clears throat> so I knew Mother's Day was coming up, and so a couple weeks before Mother's Day, I went out and got a card for my kids to sign, and I went to uh, a store, and I got a nice card couple charms for her, and um, I've got two boys, uh, 15 and 13, and then a six-year, almost seven-year-old daughter, and I knew the boys could care less, right, so, um, about the charm bracelet, and so I bring it home, and I get my daughter, who's, my daughter is all girl, man, she's a girly girl, and I knew she would love this thing, so I bring her upstairs, and say, hey, wanna, Lauren, I want to show you what I got mommy in took her upstairs and got out the jewelry box and her eyes were wide with wonder. You know, she was so excited and I opened it up and as soon as I opened up her countenance changed and she goes, oh, mommy has that one. I'm like, I bought her one charm and now I bought the same one, you know? And, and the funny thing was, had I brought the boys up, they would have been like me, great idea, dad, you know, awesome, you know? And, and so what she gave to me was an honest reflection of what was going on, Right? I mean, if had she, I mean, here's what she, she really, even though I, my heart sank, because I realized I got to go to the store again, okay? But, but she gave me freedom, really. She gave me a freedom for messing up Mother's Day. And she, she gave me the freedom to march myself back to the store and get another one, you know? And, and I could have looked at her and made some excuses. Like, man, Lauren, why you got to be the cosmic killjoy? A gift's a gift, you know? I mean, she'll be fine. But she was just, she was just telling me the truth. And what Paul is saying here, I really want you to get this because I get spun up about this because I think it's really important that we understand in chapter, in, in verse six, a lot of times people read that verse, they rip it out of context. They say, oh, the law of God is somehow bad. No, the law of God is excellent. Paul's not saying the law is bad. He's reminding us that, the, that <clears throat> while the law is good, we are not. We're the sinners. We're only capable of not keeping the law. And because of that, what that does to us as the human race is it puts us under the curses of the law of God, not the blessings of the law of God. This is why the law keeping of Jesus Christ is so important. This is why the life of Christ, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, we spend a lot of time on that, not just that, but the life of Christ is so important because he is the law keeper so that, let's go back to declared righteousness for a minute, when he keeps the law, he kept it perfectly, perfectly righteous so that by grace through faith, the law keeping of Christ is now credited to our spiritual bank account so that come glorification, we will get all the blessings of keeping the law of God perfectly. Does that make sense? sense. This is cool stuff. 
And so Paul says, listen, the law reflects the very character of God. God's character is good. It's perfect. The law reflects his character. By the way, the God that we worship is holy. You know what that means? He's set apart. He's without sin. The God that we just sang to, he can't have any sin in his midst. And if he's taking us to this perfect place called glorification, when we get there, there can't be any evil. There can't be any sin. There can't be any pride. There can't be any selfishness. There can't be any conceit. There can't be any adultery. There can't be any addictions. There can't be any lying. There can't be any coveting. There can't be any worse worry. There can't be any gossip. None of that will be in his presence. Why? Because even the smallest doses of sin in his presence will be consumed by his holy and righteous justice and goodness. Okay? And so the law makes us take a serious look at our hearts and say, man, where is my place before the holy God of the universe? By the way, we do this all the time as parents. I've used this illustration before, right? But whenever our kids get in trouble, I hear a lot of parents say this. They say, man, I know that my son or I know that my daughter, I know they really have a good what? Heart. They have a good heart. Now, here's what I think we mean by that. I think what we mean is I love my kids regardless of what they do, right? I think that's what we mean by that. But let me, I, I want to be careful that we take some of that language out of, our, of the things that we say because the Bible's really clear. Our kids really don't have a good heart, and you really don't have a good heart. And left to our own, our hearts will, will, are basically evil and against the things of God, Okay. And by the way, it's natural and good and healthy to love your kids no matter what they do, okay? That's a good thing. Okay, but, but morally speaking and spiritually speaking, okay, we have to be careful that we compare ourselves not to each other, but rather to the law of God. Does that make sense? Because left to ourselves, what we do is we find other people go, well, at least I'm not as bad as and, we, and no matter where you are in your life, no matter what sin you're wrestling with, you can find someone that's basically better or worse, okay? You always can, at least in your mind. But the law of God brings us all under the condemnation of God. And so the law gives us an honest spiritual reflection. It's an honest spiritual reflection. It's the mirror of who God really is. And so this misunderstanding has come from just pulling Romans chapter 7, verse 6 out. It comes from flipping over to Romans chapter 8 and skipping a whole teaching here that Paul does in Romans 7, 8, 1, and 2 says this. It says, therefore, there's <clears throat> no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so we have failed to realize what Paul is talking about is that sinners, the law, which reflects the character of God, leaves us not with spiritual blessings from keeping law, but rather the cursings that come from not keeping the law. Our freedom is in Christ alone. Church, I want to hear that. I want you to hear that again because we hear that a lot and it fails to sink in. Our freedom is in Christ alone. Left to ourselves under the curses of the law in our flesh, what the law demands is death, both physical and spiritual. And that's why Paul says in verse 12 of Romans 7, which we often skip past, right? So then the law is what? Holy, right? And the commandment is what? Holy and righteous and good. It's the, this is what makes the law of God so important that we don't compare ourselves to one another. We compare ourselves to the God who really is and the God that expects us to be holy, Romans 7, 7, Paul says this. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. 
In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were, if there were no law, sin would not have that power. Okay? Paul says, here's, here's, the po- here's the point. The law is like if, if, let's, if you have a great yard, okay? Let's say your yard right now is beautiful, man. The grass looks great. There's no weeds. And your neighbors all drive by and go, man, what an awesome yard. But then one day you decide to put a big sign in your yard that says, keep off the grass, okay? What's going to happen? Your neighbors are going to be like, man, that gr- not only does it look good, I want to go walk on it, right? And that's what's going to happen, right? If you have kids, hey, kids, listen, I'm leaving for a few minutes, don't touch the cookies, right? I didn't know there was cookies. Suddenly, all they think about is the cookies, right? And so the law of God is not bad. It arouses our real nature, and it's a spiritual reflection, and what it should do is remind us of how far we fall short of the holiness of God. You know, and what happens is in our culture is we've preached a gospel that says accept Jesus without first teaching the law. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the law. Well, that's a weird gospel presentation. I thought it was accept Jesus. I thought it was follow Jesus. It's not until you understand where your, where your sin really is before a holy God. It's not until you understand that you're going to stand before a holy God as a sinner, and that's a terrifying place to be, that you understand the need for a Savior. It's not until you understand that sin is a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. It's not till you understand that sin smells so bad to God that he was willing to place his own son on earth and subject him to the punishment of your sin. Dying one of the most horrific deaths known to man to pay the penalty of the law's demands. Church, I want to be clear about this before we move on. Your self-righteousness will never stand up to the holiness of God. Don't ever think you're going to stand before God and say, hey, God, let me, I'm going to hold up. I did this and this and this and this and this and this. That self-righteousness compared to the law of God will never stand up. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 13, he says, how can that be? Did, Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Here's the good news. The law of God is an awesome tool to remind you of how sinful you really are. That's a good thing, by the way. That's my daughter going, mom already has that one, okay? It gets me out a whole lot of trouble. It puts it in perspective, Okay, now here's the really good news. This next passage, okay, so Paul now, speaking of sin, he reminds us of the incredibly, he kind of transitions now, and he reminds us of this incredibly difficult wrestle we have in this process of sanctification, this wrestle with sin, okay? Now, these next couple verses are, these are the verses I could be wrong, okay? There's some debate about these next few verses, in my humble opinion, I believe the next four, uh, next 10 verses or so are describing the process of sanctification inside the heart of a believer. In other words, this is our wrestle with gro- in, gro- in growing with Christ. And part of the reason I come down there is as I read this, it, it smacks all too closely of my own journey with Christ. 
Now, I never lift my experience above the scriptures, okay? I hear this all the time. Well, God told me, or I experienced this. I'm like, all of our experiences have to be subjected to the truths of God's word. However, when I read this, I just resonate with it. So rather than do a whole lot of teaching and preaching, I want, I want to read to you the scripture. I want to read to you what Paul says here, starting in verse 14. I hope you'll stay with me. You all look like a smart crowd. I run the risk of losing you, but I think you'll stay with me. So Paul says this. He says, so... <clears throat> The trouble's not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. Here he gets honest. The trouble's with me. Man, I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. Verse 15, I don't really understand myself, or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 16, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So, so I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. You ever been there? Man, church, I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you one of my little struggles, okay? And I've got many, but one of them, man, is, is, is when, I, when I get home at night and I'm, I'm tired I, my tone gets nasty. Does anybody else struggle with that? And I, I have many days when I'm driving home in my car, and I'm like, God, I'm about to invest in my family, I'm about to invest in my, you know, my, this great wife you gave me, invest in these children. Please help my tone. And I pray that prayer, and I hope to live in the power of the Spirit, and I hope to be free from sin. And I get home, and immediately if something happens, and my tone goes like that. And I'm like, ugh! Right? You ever done that? I'm the only one. Okay. And it's in those moments, man, that I go, man, I long for glorification. I long to be done with this wrestle because I want, this whole passage to me is like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about the sins of omission and the sins of commission, right? You know, you, you ever drove by somebody and you go, man, I could really help that person with that car problem. I could really help that kid that doesn't have enough food. And, you know, you see something on TV, you go, man, I could really be a part of making that right. And you don't do anything. It's the sin of omission. And the sins of commission, the things I'm trying to stop doing, and I continue to do it. You know, some of you in this room um, this morning, um, you know, maybe you're here and, and you came in this morning and as I'm talking about your sin and stuff, and you're like, man, I've got this sin that I wrestle with. And, and, <clears throat> and some of you, and here's what's interesting, if, if before Christ you were really addicted to a particular sin, there was an idol in your heart, man, you just worship that idol all the time, that worship. And we talked about this last week, how, you know, if you keep looking back to the old idol, man, you go right back into the slavery of that sin. And when you came to Christ, you, you experienced some freedom in Christ. However, that addiction still gnaws at your heart. And here what, here's what can be really discouraging sometimes, is, is sometimes we parade in front of church people testimonies of people that, you know, they used to have a gambling problem or a porn, porn problem or an alcoholic problem or drug problem or whatever. And, and what happens is they come to Christ, and when they become declared righteous, God really does set them completely free, and they never look back on that sin, right? And so we parade that person up here, and then the person who does, who has come to Christ by grace through faith, but they're still struggling with their addiction to alcohol. They're still struggling with their addiction to pornography or whatever. They're like, well, why hasn't that been me? Okay, where's my complete freedom, right? And part of my thing is like, I don't exactly know. I know that, and by the way, the name Israel, does anybody know when God changed Jacob's name to Israel? Does anybody know what the word Israel literally means? It literally means to wrestle with God. I love that passage. 
Because I think part of the journey is we cling to Christ no matter what. And if that's your story this morning, you're wondering, man, why do I keep wrestling with, let me encourage you this, part of the journey of sanctification is that we just continue to wrestle with our sin. Don't give in to its temptations and lures. Okay? Verse 20, but if I don't, if I do what I don't want to do, by the way, I said I wasn't going to preach through this, didn't I? I couldn't help myself. All right, verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do and I'm not really the one doing wrong, it's sin living in me. It does it. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. By the way, last week we talked about the mind, didn't we? By the way, I'm thinking about doing this fall a whole series on the mind because it just keeps coming up in Scripture that, you know, how we think, how we think, how we think. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Verse 24, you ever felt like this? Verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You ever had that longing, even as a follower of Jesus? When, do, when is this mess going to be left behind me? I think this is the frustration and the struggle of growing to be more like Christ. I believe that this passage is the Apostle Paul. Let me stop here for a minute. The Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's got it all together. He's the guy that wrote much of the New Testament. He's the guy that died for the church. I mean, he's the guy that went on a mission for the church. The Apostle Paul, I believe he's being honest, earthy, and real right here. That's what I love about chapter 7. And he comes to verse 24, and for just a moment of moments, it feels utterly hopeless, this process of sanctification, this process of being growing more like Christ, except for one verse, verse 25. Who can save me, he says in verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Ready? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that passage. I love that because it reminds me that the process of growing to be like Christ is to cling to hope in Jesus Christ alone. By the way, this is really cool. The message of justification to be declared righteous before God is to hope in Jesus Christ. The message of glorification, to have all the blessings that Christ deserves credited to us for eternity, is to hope in Jesus Christ. The message of sanctification, to grow to be more like Christ, is to hope and cling to Jesus Christ. The message from justification to glorification is the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We have to keep our focus, our worship, our reading our thinking, our singing, our free time, our hope, our expectations, and our dreams focused on God's Son, Jesus Christ. Years ago, I was a, um, I was a youth pastor, and I, I was not as good of a youth pastor as Pastor jo- or as, uh, as Josh is. I was a terrible youth pastor, uh, <clears throat> and I remember one time I took my um, students on a whitewater rafting trip. And, and just as a side note, this was always really interesting to me. Whenever I take one of these trips with my students, there'd always be some, I think, well-meaning adult that when I'd get back, they'd be like, man, it must be so awesome to go on all these vacations with these students. I'm like, really? You think that was a vacation, you know? And so, uh, <coughs> so don't ever say that to youth pastor, okay? So anyway, <coughs> we went on this trip and, and, and I took about 20 students went whitewater rafting. And you feel the weight of responsibility of these teenagers. Like, you know, I, you know, you have to get them back safely and all that stuff. And, and, um, and so we divvy up into two rafts 
on this whitewater rafting trip, and the guides began to instruct us on what, what to do if you fall out of a raft in the middle of a rapid. I'm like, you mean these children can fall out of this raft? No one said anything about falling out of rafts, you know? And so I began, man, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, dear Lord, please, I'm praying, protect us, you know, as we go down this river. And, um, and so we get into the middle of one of these rapids, and our, um, our raft went straight up in the air. It was really cool uh, until I saw one of my students flying out of the front of the raft towards me. And uh, one of the things that never crossed my mind as I was praying and worrying about the students falling out of the raft, it never crossed my mind that I could fall out of the raft, right? And so this student hits me in the chest. I push him back into the raft, and guess what? Out I flipped out of the back of the raft. And what they taught us... And unfortunately, I was listening. I said, if you fall out in the middle of a rapid, never, never, never try to stand up. They said, what you want to do is find the raft, grab on. There's a rope that goes all the way around the raft. Grab onto that rope. Hold on to that rope till we get to calmer waters. They said, if you try to get up in the middle of a rapid, you put your feet down on the rocks, you could, the water can literally break your legs, okay? They said, make sure you just hold on, drag. And boy, I grabbed onto that rope and I clung onto that rope for dear life, okay? As we went through this rapid, you know, bouncing through. My point in that is in this journey of sanctification. Some of you came in here this morning and the battle had worn you down. Some of you came in here this morning and you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep going in this process of growing to be like Christ. I want to encourage you with the Apostle Paul, cling to Christ. Grab onto the rope of Christ and hold on and never let go. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about ending with that. And here's what I thought about it. I, what does that mean? What does it mean to cling to Christ? I don't even know. And as I was beginning to think through that, I'm going to kind of finish with this. You want to know what came to my mind? And I'm sorry, this is just the preacher and me. Okay. What came to my mind really was the vision of Coastal Community Church. Our vision is to develop authentic followers of Christ through connect, grow, and serve. And like we believe these are really biblical things to help you cling to Christ. How? By coming to corporate worship and making that a regular part of your spiritual diet so that you hear the word of God and you sing the truths of God. And then when the week gets really tough, the truths of God through song resonate in your heart and mind. You sing them over and over. You're reminded about the truth of God. You're reminded that you were ransomed. How deep the Father's love for us, man, that you were bought with a price, you know, and that helps encourage you in your spiritual journey. And then we encourage you to be in a small group. That's grow, okay, because you need other people around you when times get tough to minister you, encourage you, and challenge you sometimes, okay? And part of what our small group is is a teaching time. We, we take these biblical, the, the sermons and we unpack them in small group and we, we give you a daily reading. Got to be in the Word of God daily to prep for your small group. Why? Because that's all clinging to Christ, and then your small group's going to at times gather around you and they're going to pray with you. Why? Because the prayers of the saints go before God and God hears our prayers and he encourages us and he, and he walks with us in this journey. It's clinging to Christ. And then in the overflow of your worship, you, you got to serve, okay? And you give back to others, right? And, and serving is taking your blinders off of you long enough to give to someone else. And the strangest thing happens when you serve others, right? Food pantry people. I heard there's a lot of food pantry people up here yesterday, right? Strange thing happens when you give back. When you give back, suddenly it's like, man, all my little worries seem to melt away for a season. Why? Because connect, grow, and serve is really the process to clinging to Christ. Church, our only hope is Christ. He's our hope for justification or declared righteousness. He's our hope for glorification where he's taken us. And he's our hope for sanctification. And I want to declare with you this morning, 
what the Apostle Paul declared. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you for the hope of your word. God, we want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, it's why we gather corporately and we sing to Christ and sing his praise. Because as all of us, many of us in this room would testify to, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to enter into your presence in prayer. Thank you that we get to bring our cares and worries and concerns into your presence. And God, even as we pray, we are reminded that the only reason we are allowed into your presence to bring our prayer requests is because of your son, Jesus Christ, who will save us from this wretched, difficult, challenging life. We, as your followers this morning, say, thank God our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus, it is in your name only that we enter the presence of the Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, this is our offering time. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, first of all, let me say thank you so much for being here. And I want you to know that we're not, as a church, we're not after your money. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord. And so uh, if you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to, but don't feel any obligation to give. As a guest, we'd love to have one thing from you. On the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call it a connect card. And if you just fill it out with your mailing information, and we want to take that, and we want to send you a thank you card for coming. Uh, before I turn it over to Joey Church, I just want to encourage you this week. All throughout the week, as you grow in your sanctification, cling to Jesus Christ. Joey.